Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right, welcome to Faith. So good to have you guys here today. Uh, Take your Bibles out, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're in our series, Messy Church, and we're actually in the last of the five-part series, and trust it's been a blessing to you as we've been looking at different stories, different things, messes in the book of Acts. How many have ever heard of uh, Murphy's Law before? Fell victim to Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. We've all fell victim to that. Let me just lay out just a few of them for you today. There's so many of them, but uh, you know what they are. Interchangeable parts won't. All warranties expire the week before it breaks down. Been there. A shortcut is the longest distance between two points. The chance of a piece of bread with peanut butter and jelly falling on, on side down is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet. Uh, here's one. No matter how hard you shop for the best price to buy it, the item will be on sale someone else cheaper a week later. The other lane or line is always moving faster. We know that to be true. Any tool used in repairing a car when drop will fall underneath the car to the exact center. The, re- uh, the repairman has never seen a model quite like yours before. <laughs> and here's one more. The light at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of the oncoming train. What do you, what do, you do when things don't work out? When, when it, it's, it's not coming together, it's not happening. Things don't work out like you plan or like you expect. Now, Murphy's Law, those are minor inconveniences. They're minor bumps along the way. But what about when that major stuff begins to happen? What about when the big problems come in, when life seems to be going fine and you're going down one direction and it throws you a curveball and messy things in in your life just begin to happen and it happens and it messes you up and it locks you down. What about the tough words you may have heard before like the word downsizing or how about the word cancer? How about the word I no longer love you? or job transfer, or loan denied, or I have an addiction. Uh, Life can be messy. And we get this picture of life, and it's all success, and it's all fun, and it's all blessings of God, and there are those times, but so often life is like a roller coaster. Sometimes when you're up, man, things are really going great, but then you hit those low spaces, low spots, and you hit those problems and trials and tests along the way, and it just really can totally mess your life up. Now, we are in this series, Messy Church. Why? Because the church is made up of people, and people's lives can get very, very messy. And it happens to all of us at some time or another. And we're looking at the early church, and the early church itself was very messy. And they had a lot of problems, a lot of challenges to overcome, especially in that early church. 
Five weeks ago, we started out looking at that early church that was going through persecution. It wasn't easy for them. And as soon as the church breaks out and the power of the Holy Spirit breaks out, persecution begins to grow around them. And there's a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus who says, I'm going to wipe out the church. And he's going, putting, throwing believers in jail. And he stands there holding the garments while they're throwing rocks at Stephen, who becomes the very first martyr in the book of Acts. Messy. But something happened to Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus. That glory of God came down, and he is transformed to an incredibly great apostle of the faith and apostle to the Gentiles. Secondly, we looked at prejudice. That can be messy. You put a church together of every kind of shape, size, and color, and it often gets messy because we've got to overcome our own prejudices. And we looked at how uh, between Peter and Cornelius and, and God had to get Peter's attention, he kept letting that sheet down. And God says, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. We're not the judges. We're not the jury. It's God. And so we are called to love everybody, the body of Christ, and God is no respecter of persons. And we looked at that. And then we looked at church discipline. Church discipline can be very, very messy. And you get this radical discipline in the early church. And you got two uh, imposters by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they come in and they are filled with lying and greed. And of course, the main sin of all is they tried to steal the glory that belongs to God. And they are struck dead on on the site. And the Bible said a great fear seized the whole church. Holiness and awesomeness of God. And then last week, we looked at navigating through our differences as a church, our different cultural backgrounds and our different beliefs about the way things ought to be. And it all came to a head in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And they said, can Gentiles come into the faith? Can they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by grace alone? Or do they first have to be circumcised? And we talked about how our cultural background and cultural mores dictate everything we do. But there are times we've got to learn to lay down our rights for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of unity, unity in the church and that souls might be saved. And they came to the conclusion at the end of that council is we need to make it easy for anybody to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And in faith assembly of God, it ought to be easy for anybody to give their heart to Christ, to be saved. So we looked at that last week. Now we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 this week, and let me give you a little background before we read the text. Acts chapter 15 was at uh, the Jerusalem Council, but after the Jerusalem Council, it gets messy again. Paul and Barnabas had been the team on the first missionary journey, and they have this dispute among each other. The dispute is so strong that they wind up breaking apart and breaking up that missionary team. Now that happens in church. A sharp disagreement. Do we take John Mark or do we leave him at home? He bailed on us on the first missionary trip. The apostle Paul says he's a wimp. I don't want him back again. Barnabas says he's my nephew. I got to take him back. He's family. Don't have a choice. And and so this sharp disagreement arises. But because the propagation of the gospel was more important than their personal differences, uh, it didn't stop the missionary effort of the early church. And out of that, one team came two. And God took a mess and turned it around for his glory. And you've got now uh, Barnabas and John Mark going one direction. And Paul picks up a man by the name of Silas. And Paul and Silas become a very powerful missionary team in their own right. 
And then you move into Acts chapter 16 and you begin to see the Holy Spirit navigating them as they are traveling around going where God is going to tell them to go. And there were times they thought they should go this way and God says, no, don't go that way. And times they should go this way and he says, no, again. But then he has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come on over here, come on over here. And the apostle Paul takes that as a sign from God and he and Paul and Silas set sail for a place called Philippi. Now they're in Philippi, that is a Roman province. It is such a pagan area that they could not find a synagogue in the city of Philippi. To have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men in a town. There were not even 10 Jews in the whole region of Philippi. And so what he went is he found a few Jews by the river, a few ladies by the river, headed up by a lady by the name of Lydia. And they're down there worshiping God. And Paul finds them and he goes to them and begins church in Lydia's house. And God begins to move in the city of Philippi. And amazing things start happening and start taking place. And there's a lady, there's a fortune teller who had, was demon-possessed who kept crying after Paul and talking about God. And, and, and he turns around and casts the devil out of her, and the Philippian merchants become very, very upset with the apostle Paul. And I'm going to pick up the story right there. We're going to read it. So let's stand together, Acts chapter 16 and verse number 16. And we're going to just stay right here in the text today and uh, work through this together. Acts 16, once when they were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Wow. And when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing out our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for, gent- for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your sweet presence here this morning. Thank you for the power of your word today. I pray, God, that your holy word would find fertile ground in our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you will help me to bring forth your word today. I cannot do one thing without you, mighty Lord. I need you today. Help us, I pray. And I pray, mighty God, for those that are locked down in their prison of circumstances, their prison of unforgiveness. I pray that today, by the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be set free. And we love you, God, and we thank you for what you're going to do. We give you praise and honor and glory for you alone are worthy. 
We ask all this in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a roller coaster Paul and Silas have been on. You read earlier, just before verse number 16, and things are going great. I mean, they're preaching. God's adding to the number of those who should be saved. Uh, he had directed them every step of the way. They're casting out demons. I'm sure there are healings taking place. Miracles are occurring. It is an exciting time to be at Philippi until one angry business owner gets upside down and gets angry. And he stirs up the crowd, creates a riot, creates a vault, and revolt. And the next thing you know is Paul and Silas, who have been on the streets freely preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, now find themselves in prison. And they're locked down. Not only are they in prison, they have just been flogged and beaten. And so their bodies are laid open, their backs are laid open, and they find themselves in the very worst of situations. Let me tell you something. Almost every major breakthrough will be followed by resistance. You begin to storm the gates of hell. You begin to wreak havoc to the enemy. He's not going to lay there and take it. There will probably be a counterattack of some shape, some form, some size that's going to come back on you. It's called spiritual warfare. If it were easy, everybody would be engaged. And when you attack the gates of hell, when you storm the gates of hell, you can expect at some point along the way the enemy will launch a counterattack. Thus you are engaged in all-out spiritual warfare. But listen to me, your prison can be your greatest opportunity for Christ to work in you and through you. I want to say that one more time. Your prison can be the greatest opportunity for Christ to work in you and also work through you to accomplish his purposes. And so the question is, what do we do when we're, when we're treated unfairly? What do we do when we are attacked? What do we do when we're misunderstood? What do we do when we find ourselves in a dungeon and the midnight hour? Do we give up and say, God, you've left the house. I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm not going to follow you anymore. Why am I going through all these trials and tests? Do we get angry? Do we complain and say, I never catch a break? My life's a mess. Do we grumble along the way? Do we get depressed? Do we get mad and angry at God? What do we do when life throws that curveball along the way? Let's look at verse 25 and see what Paul and Silas did. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. In every prison, there is an opportunity to praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Just one little amen out there somewhere. Now now look at verse 24 again. The Bible says they were thrown in the inner cell. This is the lowest, or in some translations, might say the lowest cell. This is the worst cell, jail cell, to be in in the dungeon or in the prison. It's the very lowest part of the prison, and all the sewage ran through there. All the filth ran through there. All the urine ran through there. All the excrement ran through that lowest cell, and that's where they find themselves. They are in the inner cell, the very worst of the worst. The Bible says their feet were put in stocks, and what they would do in these inner cells, maximum security, their feet would be put in the stocks, and they would be forced to lay down on their backs, and so keep in mind, his back has been laid open, and now he's laying on a filthy jail cell floor, probably excrement through there and running through there, and that's where they find themselves in the inner cell, feet bound, 
in stocks. Paul and Silas have been doing the will of God and they are beaten and bloody and laying in human waste. Most prisons lead to complaining or doubting or massive pity parties. I can throw the greatest pity party you could ever imagine. We throw a wonderful pity party. But praise, when you can praise God, when you can sing in the prison cell, when you can glorify God and worship him in the midst of prison, it is a powerful expression of your faith. Because your praise is a declaration that God, no matter what happens to me, you're still in charge. You're still in control. You will take care of me. You will be with me. You will see me through this trial and test that I find myself in. Praise also is the pathway to God's presence. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so when you begin to praise the Lord, it gives you access into the presence of the living God. When we give God worth, which is worship, we begin to experience God's presence. And God's presence will give you peace. God's presence will give you joy. God's presence will give you power because these are the elements of the kingdom of God. It'll give you perspective and value. It'll keep you focused on a good God who is still in control and still in charge. And so while I'm in the midst of the prison cell, yet I will praise you. I will glorify you. I will magnify you, O God. Just listen to some of these verses real quick. Paul wrote these, all all three of these, and he knew firsthand what he was talking about. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5. 19 and 20, speak to one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, in verse number 4, he writes back to the church from Rome, the church that imprisoned him. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. You see a pattern there? Thanksgiving and praise is not based on my circumstances. I don't just praise the Lord when everything's going great. But he says, in everything, always, in all circumstances, I will praise the Lord, I will thank the Lord, I will glorify him. Every prison you find yourself in is not a time to complain and grumble and give up on God. It is an opportunity for you to engage in praise and worship and celebration for who God is. The Bible says the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what the enemy does is he listens for the cries of the wounded gazelle or the sound of a wounded gazelle because when he hears that wounded animal he is ready to pounce on him and destroy that gazelle and he has found his supper for the day listen to me when you gripe when you murmur when you complain When you grumble, you are like that wounded gazelle and it gives the enemy just an opportunity to come in and pounce on you in the midst of your circumstances. But when you praise, uh, it becomes a two-edged sword in your hand uh, and the enemy can't touch that. 
Praise the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. What if we seize that opportunity to praise God in our prison? Our attitude begins to change. Our heart begins to change. Some people say, listen, there's so, Pastor, you don't understand. I haven't been in church because my life's a mess and there's so much going on and I can't come to church. And others say, you know what? There's so much happening to me. There's so much mess. I can't praise the Lord. I can't raise my hands. I can't thank God right now. Let me tell you, the reality is there is so much mess. You have to praise the Lord. That's when you have to engage his presence. You have to come in and celebrate him and worship him. I have to get into his presence. I have to trust the Lord. I like the resolve of Job who makes this statement, though thou slay me, yet I will trust the Lord. I like the praises of David, the resolve of David. Though his enemies surround him, he said, but you are my reward and my righteousness and my protector. I will sing of your name as he's running for his life from King Saul. I like the resolve of Joseph, who said, you intended to harm me, to his brothers. He was sold into slavery because of jealousy. He was falsely accused and found himself in prison. But God turned it for good, he says, for the saving of lives. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. And you look at Job, and the Bible said that when his life came toward, when he got through that trial of his, uh, his life was better off by twice than it was before because he praised and glorified the Lord. You look at David, uh, even though he's running for his life from King Saul, he would eventually be elevated to the throne. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. We're going to have a covenant relationship, and you're kingdom will never, ever end. Uh, there will be a descendant who will reign on your throne forever. Because in the midst of his trial, he didn't give up on God and he didn't turn away and get angry and stop serving the Lord. He praised God in the midst of his trial and the resolve of Joseph because he said God intended it for good. Joseph was used to not only save the nation of Egypt, but he would also save the nation of Israel. There would be no Israel today had Joseph not been faithful, even in the midst of his prison. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're locked up, their backs are bloody, they have been beaten, they're lying in waste. And Paul looked over at Silas and said, let's sing, let's sing. I don't know what song they chose. Now, I'm going to warn you, I feel a song coming on, but I am not, I am not going to sing it. I felt a song last week, and just the Holy Spirit just kind of left the building. He just, God loves me anyway, but it just, no, it was bad. It was bad, but, but I'll read the words. I will do that. I'll spare you the singing. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you are going through a mess. There's people in this house today going through a real tough mess. You're locked down into prison. I want to encourage you, stop complaining and start praising. Start praising. Every, every prison 
is an opportunity to praise the Lord. Now something began to happen. Not only is it the key to praising the Lord, but it's the key to unlocking the power of God. Your prison can be an opportunity for unlocking the power of God, releasing his power. Let's pick it up. Verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Suddenly, the prison doors flew open. Listen to me. Praise became the launching pad for the supernatural to take place. Praise becomes the launching pad for the supernatural to take place in your life. Why? Because the Bible said God inhabits the praises of his people. And as we begin to praise the Lord, we create a beachhead for the operation of the Holy Spirit to move in supernatural power might. It releases the miraculous. It creates a platform for God's kingdom work to take place. Now I want you to... How could Paul and Silas do this in the midst of prison? Paul and Silas understood this principle. I want you to get this. It'll change your perspective in life. It's simple. We say it all the time. But typically we say it when things are going well. God is good. God is good all the time. Now we say that. We believe that intellectually. But the problem is, when we find ourselves in prison and the circumstances that occur are very, very hard, God seems unfair. But our circumstances, the unfairness of my surroundings, what seems unfair, can never contradict the fact that God is always, always good. God is always good. All the time, God is good. So God can allow circumstances and storms, but he can eventually bring good out of it. Because he's always good. So when I go through a challenging time, I don't give up on God, I don't scream at God, I don't get mad at God, because God's character is always good. So I've got to understand that somehow God must have a bigger picture in mind for my life and my development. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love him. All things. Good things. Prison experiences. Great things. All things. God can work in my life to develop stronger faith patience, character, and perseverance. He said trials develop our faith. Tests make us strong. It develops patience and perseverance. God can work in my life, even in the worst of circumstances, but he can also, let me take it a step further, work through my life in all circumstances, bringing about good or the gospel to somebody else. Gospel means good news. 
If you can understand God's power to transform and shake things up, even when you're in prison, it will begin to change your perspective and your worship and your walk of authority because you begin to understand God is always good. And when I get that down and when I grasp that and I hold on to that every single day, morning by morning, your mercies are new every day. When I wake up with that, no matter what comes my way, it doesn't change the fact that God is still good. And as I begin to praise the Lord, his power's released. And he shakes things up. Let me ask you a question. Do we still believe that God is a miracle-working God? Listen, if we didn't have a trial, we'd never see God's miracle-working hand. We would never know he was a healer if we never got sick. We never know that God can shake the ground and remove our shackles and break open the prison bars. Now, I want you to notice something very carefully. We've heard this story before. If you've been in church a while, you've heard the story of Acts 16. You know about Paul and Silas. Something you may be missing in the midst of this text, and I want to bring it out to you, and it's found in verse 26. Not only are Paul and Silas set free, but it says all the prison doors flew open. They're not the only guys in prison. It's the prison of Philippi. It is a Roman province. It is a Roman colony. There are all kinds of political prisons, uh, killers, murders, extortioners. They're all in there. Revolutionaries, they're in there. All the prison doors flew open. Verse 26. And then it says, everybody's chains fell off. Not just Paul and Silas, it's everybody's. When you praise God in prison, everybody's listening, everybody's watching. Listen, when you live the Christian life in front of your people when things are going great, so what? Everybody's happy when things are going great. But when you are in a trial and a test and you're still praising the Lord and you're still smiling and you're still walking in victory and you're still giving it back to the devil and you're still living out in victory and spiritual warfare, it's then, it's then your testimony is the strongest. Everybody has a testimony when you're doing great. What is your testimony like in the middle of a prison cell? That's when they're watching. That's when they're looking. How will they respond now? Where is his God now? Look, he's the one who talked about Jesus so much, and look at what he's going through now. When they see your praise and they hear your praise and they watch the power and they watch the doors come open, it will not only loosen you, but it'll loosen those around you. It'll begin to set them free. What a powerful, powerful testimony. Your miracle will produce a testimony that will free other people. And that leads me to my third point, and it's simply this. For in every prison, there is an opportunity for God's greater purpose. In every prison, there is an opportunity for God's greater purpose. Let's pick this story up with verse number 27. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he threw his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took him and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now listen to me. Here, here, I was thinking about this scenario. If, if it's me and I'm in jail and I have been beaten and my back is swollen and bruised and bloody and blood is all over the place. My body's all cramped up from being in stocks. I have been in prison for doing good. And those jails had thrown open. First of all, I'd have been running. I'd have gotten as far away as I could. But second, if that guy says, here's my sword, I'm about to plunge myself through, I would say, go ahead, dude, you deserve it. (laughs) I'd have been like Dirty Harry, go ahead, make my day. (laughs) Right? That's the natural, normal reaction. But the problem is, listen to me. Paul and Silas's unforgiveness would have locked them in a greater prison than they ever were than when they were in Philippi. Because unforgiveness will lock you down not just for a season, but for a long, long period of time. It will lock you down. It will put you in your own prison. It will close the door to mercy. It will close the door to God's grace. It will close the door to unity in the body of Christ. It will close the door to spiritual growth. God can't forgive you and work in your life if you don't forgive somebody else. Your prison and your scars on your back tell a story. They tell a story of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's miracle-working power. Who are you to withhold forgiveness from anybody else? Notice also freedom happened inside that prison. The chains came off, but I want you to notice something. He remained inside the prison. Now I want you to follow me here. The chains came off. They were free. The prison doors opened up. They could have ran, but they remained free in their prison. We are all here. We're still in here. We haven't left. Nobody's moved. We are all here. They remain inside. Why did they remain inside in their prison for one lost jailer? You can be free and at the same time, your circumstances may not change. There is a freedom in Christ, there is a liberty in Christ that you can have anytime, any place, but your circumstance in life may not change. We want deliverance, we want to escape, We want to run for our lives. We want to get out of there. We want to escape the pain right away. But sometimes God leaves us in the prison. But I'm still free. Because circumstances, a prison can't defeat me. I've had ladies talk to me before. 
They're, they're, they, they, get, they got married long when they were young, and they're both as lost as gooses, and one of the two gets saved. And they say, you know what, now that I'm saved and I'm in this horrible marriage, I've got reason to leave. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, no, don't go, stay in that marriage. How do you know that if you don't stay in that marriage, your unbelieving spouse can get saved because of your faithfulness and your life and the love you show them? And sometimes they're miserable, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes he comes home drunk at night. Sometimes he doesn't take care of you like he ought to, and he doesn't pay the bills. Sometimes he yells and screams. And and our response is, let me out of this prison and let me run away as far as I can and never look back. And Paul says, don't you know that if you leave, in all probability that man will die and go to hell. But if you stay, if you love God, you're faithful to me, you pray for that unbelieving spouse, who knows but through that, your, your life and your testimony, your witness, that unbeliever can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we remain in prison, but I am still free indeed in Christ Jesus. And nobody, nobody can ever, ever take that away from me. While circumstances don't immediately change in the midst of our storm, it's then our testimony is the very most powerful. There is a greater purpose, and the greater purpose here was the salvation of Jailer and his entire family. It was not Paul's release. The greater purpose was their salvation. It's about souls, about people not spending eternity in hell. It's about lives. And often the greater purpose overrides our immediate circumstances. It was 32 years ago, just about this time of the year, probably, I think it was in March, end of March, I, uh, I had a brother by the name of Mike. He was my younger brother, and uh, three and a half years younger, he was the smart one in the family. He was the favorite son. He was the uh, handsome one. He was the, he was the one that had it all, all together. And sharp, sharp, sharp. Loved the Lord with all of his heart. And uh, he had a chance as he was going through Miami University in Ohio to go on a cruise around the world. And because he was in the educational field, he was going as a teacher and a, and a a supervisor, an RA over all those rooms he had there. And semester at sea takes ships and cruise liners, and they went to. And so before he got ready to go, he took malaria pills. The malaria pills, because he was going to travel through Africa and do a safari and all that stuff, the malaria pills were primarily sulfa back then. And so he takes these sulfa pills and uh, gets them into a system before he leaves. And he, they start this trip, and partway into it, he starts getting very, very ill and very sick. He gets down to South Africa, and, by, and, and there were, the flu was going around the cruise ship. So all the symptoms he had mimicked a flu, a fever, night sweats, uh, pain, aches in his body, all those kind of things. Seemed like flu-like symptoms. That's what they thought he had, and they thought, you know, he's going to be all right. And he left... They left uh, Cape Town, South Africa, and they sailed up around to Sri Lanka, south of India, and uh, his, his, his body got worse and worse. And the doctor on the boat, because they thought it was a flu, prescribed more drugs, 
more antibiotics that also contain sulfur. And he had a disease called Stephen Johnson disease that causes the skin to turn black and fall off your body, your tongue to swell up. And eventually what happens is the liver or kidneys start to shut down. Your vital organs shut down because of all the toxins you're taking in if you're allergic to something. And so uh, the bottom line is he got to Colombo, Sri Lanka, and there he died. And uh, my mom and dad... Uh, I got a hold of them. They were on their own cruise. It wasn't a study cruise. They were just having fun. And I got mom and dad. They flew out of Mexico. They flew over there. They got to be with Mike probably about six hours before he died. And his tongue was all swollen up. I think he recognized that they were there. But uh, it went pretty fast. And, and I, remember, I remember crying out to God. I said, God, if you'll just save Mike, you know, because he's got so much potential and so much life. And he was, he's young. He was uh, in early 20s. And I said, if you'll just save him, you know, God, I, you can do that. And I know you can do a miracle. And I was looking for this release out of prison. But something happened. He, we read his diary in his journal later. We saw that when he was on the boat, he led the chapel services on the boat. And every Sunday, he initiated a service for all those who wanted to come and be a part of that. And, of course, he, he spoke from Philippians. I, I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've fought the good fight. For some reason, that happened to be his sermon and message that morning. And, and at his funeral service, five of his friends came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and invited God to come into their heart. And, and they're still serving the Lord today. And even after that, there are others' lives who he impacted with his witness and his life and his testimony that when, when he died, when he passed away, they said, you know what? I want to follow his Lord. I want to serve his Lord. There was something different about Michael's life. And so there's countless people who gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in my mind, I wanted a release. I wanted him to get out of prison. I wanted him to get out of jail. I wanted him to get that sickness over with. I wanted him to get home so I could be with him and he could be with me and we could grow up together and he could get to know all his nephews and nieces and grandkids and all that stuff. And, 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 and I, but, but God had a greater purpose. And I can't figure out the mind of God, and I don't understand these things, but God knows, and I've got to trust that God is always good. God is good all the time. And when I can't put it all together, I lean on that and I rest on that, and ultimately that even when we don't understand, God will bring a greater purpose out of it. Trust the Lord. Praise the Lord, even in your prisons. Had the prison break occurred, had Paul and Silas booked it out of there and ran, the jailer would have probably killed himself on the spot. Had he changed his mind and not killed himself, the Romans would have killed him because if you let prisoners escape, you will face their punishment and you will be killed as well. But Paul says, we're all still here. We're not going anywhere. We'll have church right here in the middle of this prison cell. And Paul shares his story. And what does the jailer do? Tell me, how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? God has a greater purpose for your prison. Maybe you're even in a prison of your own doing. Bitterness. And you've locked yourself down. And, and someone's hurt you and you can't forgive them and you can't let it go. They beat you with rods. They put you in stocks. They abused you when you were younger. They took advantage of you. But praise God anyway. Reach out and forgive your jailer. Who's your jailer today? Who's your jailer today? See, you're no longer a victim of the chains of abuse because 
that person needs Jesus Christ. And they're lost. The person who put you in the prison of divorce, your ex. That person who labeled you or abused you and said you're never going to amount to anything, put you in stocks. That person who fired you, who said you're no good to this company anymore, we're letting you go and put your family in financial risk and jeopardy. That man or woman who gossiped about you and talked about you and posted it all over Facebook for everybody to see and read. They need to see you free inside of prison, dancing around, praising the Lord, celebrating Jesus Christ. It's the miracle of God's grace. When they see that in you, it'll change their lives. It has the miracle power to transform them. It will shake up their world. The jailer was trained by the Romans to be cruel. He was trained from youth up on how to be cruel. He was trained how to inflict beatings all the way just up to the point of death. That's all he ever knew. And now he sees firsthand God's love. And now he sees God's forgiveness. And now he sees God's grace in action. And, and, and he drops his sword. And he says, tell me, how can I be saved? God's got a plan. He's got a purpose in everything. Pick it up. With, I want to look at verse 33 and 34 again, just real quick. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them to the house and set a meal before them. Listen to me. The same people responsible for your beatings are now washing your wounds. The same people that are trying to starve you in jail are now putting food before you. That's the power of forgiveness. It's the power of redemption. It's the power of transformation. God has a greater purpose in your prison. It's not just about you. It's about that prison guard and his entire family. And so I ask you again, who's guarding your prison? Who's locked you down? Praise the Lord. Forgive them. You understand the hurt and pain that they caused flip the relationship into a blessing. And so you take all that hurt and all that pain and you flip it into a blessing. That's why God says, bless those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You take all their curses and you flip it into a blessing. You're like that guy that was brought to curse the nation of Israel. The king says, curse them, curse them. We want to win this battle. He says, I can only do what God tells me to do. And he begins to bless Israel. Bless your enemies. Turn that cursing into blessing. I don't know the extent of your prison, and I don't know all of your hurt and pain, but I do know that God is good. And God will work all things together for your good. So today, listen to me. If you're hurting, if you're a prisoner, start praising the Lord. And then you may need to forgive your jailer. You may need to forgive your jailer. You may need to forgive the person who put you there. And as you begin to forgive them, the chains will come off and you'll be free. It won't, it won't keep your heart in captivity. And we have an opportunity today. Listen, church, it's time to praise. It's time to forgive. It's time for a miracle today. Let's stand together. Everybody standing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise, church. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord.
Now, I want prison doors to fly open today. I want them to just come over. I just want them to fly open. Chains. I want chains falling off today. I believe God is able to do that this morning. The two things that will bring that freedom is praise and forgiveness. Some of you here, you're, you're in chains just because life threw you a curveball and nobody caused it, nobody brought it, but you are just in a real mess. The doctor said, you've got cancer. We're going to pray for your healing. We're going to pray that God's going to heal your body today. Uh, you're, uh, you've got the notice. Your rent's due and you don't have the money to pay that rent. We're going to pray for your, your financial freedom this morning and pray that God will help you in that situation, that miracle you need. You've got prodigal sons and daughters that are gone from the family and you're praying for their return. We're going to pray for that with you today. Whatever, whatever that is keeping you bound up, we're going to pray that a shaking is going to take place. Doors are going to fly open. Chains are going to fall off. But there are some of you, you're in your own emotional prison because you haven't forgiven. You haven't released somebody else. You've never released your jailer. You've never released your jailer. When you think about him, all you can think about is his arm going back and bringing down that rod. When you think about him, all you can think about is when he put the stocks down on your feet and clamped you down. And you've never released him. And it's keeping you bound up. You've got to do by faith, you've got to forgive them and turn their cursing into blessing. And freedom will come freedom will come. And when it comes, they can no longer hold you down. They can no longer bind you up. It's gone. It's done. It's released. It's gone. It's, it's forever forgiven, forever forgotten. And they can never hold any emotional power or sway over your life again because you've let it go. You've forgiven them. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.